Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. Uh, Happy Father's Day to all the dads here, and uh, we're going to start off talking about men, uh, because that's actually where fatherhood is supposed to begin, right? So, uh, in the beginning, it says that God created man, and he created him in his own image. He created them male and female. Very important distinction. Would you agree? Are you glad for those distinctions? Okay. I am glad for those distinctions. Um, When it comes to God's creative order, it's this part of his image. His image is founded within the creative order that he said, I'm making male and female. And in doing that, God actually started something about us because we are to be in the image of God. Now, that's a high order. And so, men, we're going to talk to you first. We're going to move it into fatherhood. And, uh, but the bigger point today is that you've been created for noble things. You've been created for actually being living honorable, strong lives that make a difference for a lot of different people. Being male is an incredible gift of God, as being female is. And it is how God has established his image in this world. Now, that might sound kind of strange to you, but this is a reflection of God's image. In the same way that God in himself lives in perfect union, male and female, God is designed to be the perfect union that he has designed and ordered. And in that, it becomes a picture even of the unity of God between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, you and I uh, really appreciate that kind of intimacy when it is there, but it's a lot of work for us because of sin, because of the weaknesses and the need for maturities in our life. So I want to talk today about this creative order being the foundation but then go into talking about what does it really mean to be a really strong, courageous, honorable, noble kind of man? Because if you're going to be a good dad, your starting point is what kind of man are you? What kind of man first are you? Because that's out of which fatherhood will flow. You will be a father according to the kind of man that you are establishing and becoming. Now, to do that, obviously, you need to start with God's design. And it's an incredible thing to think about that in these days and in this age. You see, it it starts off with a story that I want to use uh, about three men that were extremely strong, noble, honorable, respectful, and yet I deeply respect their stands and and the way that they took them. They are very famous. They continue to be famous even in our day and age. And their story is recollected in the book of Daniel. And in that book, we find this story of three men who were leaders in the world government of Nebuchadnezzar. And they were high up within the echelon of his leadership team. And they were over the home province of Babylon, which is the the kind of like being in Washington, I guess. Not that I think there's a lot of desire to be there, but the idea would be really the center of the world, the center of power. These three guys were placed in a very difficult situation. Now, life is going to always put you in difficult situations. It's both a chance for you to prove 
what you have already decided about yourself. And it's also a place to learn about how to keep applying that consistently. These three guys were challenged uh, with a worship uh, deal. This king, typical uh, for uh, kings like this, he was quite an arrogant man. He uh, saw himself as a god on earth. This was not unusual. Even in more recent times, the Japanese emperor was considered a god and uh, all the way through the Second World War. So there's, this is not an unusual thing. This particular uh, king, Nebuchadnezzar, sets up an image and he's obviously trying to bring some kind of unity to his uh, kingdom and keep it unified and he makes himself the centerpiece of that. This image is about 90 feet tall, about nine feet wide. It is, it's called a gold image. And he sets it up, brings them all in from all over the world uh, that he reigned. And all of these leaders have arrived uh, for this particular thing. And what's going to happen is they're going to have this big music thing start. And then all of them are supposed to bow down and worship this image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up of himself. Why would we start there? Well, you're going to be placed into certain things in life where you have to decide what's true about you. You have, to, you, have to, you have to be the determining factor. Nobody else. Your parents can't decide what's true about you. Your history can't decide what's true about you. In fact, because of the grace of God and his goodness, even your own personal history cannot decide what's going to be who you are. Who is, what is true about you? So these three guys end up in a situation where the king has set up, though, as a threat. This is kind of when you know it's false worship and not from the heart. If you don't do it, you're going to be thrown into the fiery furnace. And the fiery furnace is going to consume you. You're going to lose everything, including your life. So they stand before the king because they didn't bow down when the music started. They get reported by other leaders. Obviously, a great opportunity for maybe others to move up the ladder, take over their positions. Once they're notified, the king is notified, he, he, it says he gets in a rage, he's angry. He tells them to stand before him and here's the first question that he asks them. He just says this, is it true? Is it true? Nebuchadnezzar, it says, spoke saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? See that phrase? Is it true? Nebuchadnezzar is sort of like, I can't believe this. You don't get it. Something's being missed here. It can't be true. You've, you, you've ruled so well. You are men of great quality. Why in the world would you not be doing what needs to be doing to further and unify this kingdom? Is it true? You know, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ in this day and age, if you're going to be a real man of God in this time, you have to answer that question over and over again. Is it true? Is it true? Jesus, more, more than not, anybody wanted to follow him, he brought up one key thing for them to do first. He basically told them all, count the cost. Count the cost. You, 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 you make this predetermination of cost. You see, in the Christian life, we enter immediately into a fight. Because there is an opposite kingdom that has set up 
uh, an opposite model and one in which is not founded within God-created order, but one where man recreates his own gods for his own power and for his own neglect towards the one true God. And if you're going to live in this time as a real man of God, you're going to learn how to fight. Because if you won't fight, you won't reign. You won't reign in your home. You won't reign in your life. You're not going to reign over, your, over the great talents and over the great things that God has put in your life. Other things will reign over those things and use them for their own purposes. So a Christian is called to actually be a fighter so that we reign. If you want to reign in, with Christ, that means you pay a price here. Now, one reason for this fight that goes on all the time is that the world, like Nebuchadnezzar, expects us all to follow after its fashions, meaning how it thinks. It, it, it wants us to follow after, uh, after it and obey its rules. Uh, we have that pressure very, very strong in our society today and growing to create a false image of God to create something else to be bowed down to. You know, the God of this world is the devil. And he claims implicit obedience. He doesn't ask for partial obedience. He wants the full deal. Sin in some form or other is the image which Satan has set up. And then he requires us to serve it. And that's why sin in our life must never be something that's allowed to reign temptation's going to come. You're going to make some bad choices. But the great work of grace is that you get to pick it up, get strong again, get moving again. Don't let it rain. You get back into reigning in your life. The tyranny of this world is fierce. It's cruel. It is, it is shame-based. It's guilt. It is, it is the negative forms of pressure. It is threat. And those who will not worship the image that the world sets up are going to find that the burning fiery furnace is still hot today. It hasn't cooled. And, and it, you have to really intend to live differently in this day and age. You have to be able to really succinctly answer this question. Is it true? What is true about us as men? Are we living out this created order? Are we growing towards our, you know, our, the image that God has created us for? Or are we recasting ourselves to fit with the world's image and that it, in tyrannous ways, causes us to serve? When it comes to this in our lives, it's really important that we have predetermined choices. Because there's going to be times when there's such pressure that everything seems on the line. You know, the, the, the world's music, the flute, the zither, the sackbut, the psaltery, you know, I have no idea exactly how that all sounded or what was, you know, the actual sound all of those brought together. But here's what I do know. There's a nobler form of music that needs to sound in the heart of Christian men. It is a music that worships God. It is a music that elevates God. It's not a music that is a signal that it's time for you to bow down. The true believer is going to take a stand and it's going to cost him. But he's going to do it without reserve because he knows that he's already predetermined who he is going to be. He's answered this question. This is what is true about me. You know, the love of the world and the love of God cannot be mixed. It's like oil and water. When you try to fuse those together, you just get confusion. 
And that's what happens in this day and age when Christian men can lose their footing and instead of actually living clearly with predetermined choices, are leaving it to the moments when they need to, waiting for, oh, I will take my stand when I'm cornered. I will take my stand when I'm forced to. And that goes in our homes too. We can sit back and kind of wait for the worst case scenarios in our homes rather than actually be ingraining our children with a faith that works all of the time, preparing them for what lies ahead. You know, the fact is, is if you're going to stand out for truth and righteousness in this day and age, you're going to get picked on a little bit. You're going to pay a price for that. I just read an article yesterday. And it's, it's shocking to me. And this is from a credible, uh, this is from a, 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 credi- a credible place that in, in Britain right now, in England, they are actually contemplating outlawing pro- prayer. And here's what they're talking about. A prayer, let's say you're praying for somebody who is, uh, has a different belief on sexuality. And they want prayer. And so if you pray for them, Right now, they are looking at forming a law. It's not been formed. They're looking at forming a law that says you cannot pray for them. Are you serious? Like, I don't know about you, but when they start trying to control our prayers, it's getting pretty weird. Like, it's beyond weird. It's getting into a place that, how do you, where do you put this? There's no file to put this into. Even to think that way. Now, what is that coming out of? It means that we live in a world that has no more predetermined outcome in their thinking other than inventing a new God, redistributing uh, any kind of truth into, a, into lies. And so if you want to live for truth and righteousness, you want that in your homes, you want your kids raised in a great environment, you want them uh, to have the stability of values that you share and that bring the best created order out of them as God has made them, then you're going to have to do some things. You know, it's an ennobling thing when men stand up. When we stand up in the midst of things and we're not waiting for the final hour, like we're just, we just deal with things as we come with the quietness, the strength of faith that we can do it with. And as a Christian, we're very clear and we present those things clearly in our family and lead our family with those kinds of great clarities. I want to tell you that ennobles you. That just proves your strength and it will make you stronger simply because you are standing out for truth and righteousness. And you say, my life isn't perfect. Like I haven't hit, you know, a home run every time I've been up at the bat. No, you have not. And I have not. That is not how we are measured. We're not measured whether we can hit a home run every time. We are measured by the directions that we set and we are committed to and we grow towards and we continue to take even the weaknesses or the losses and let God channel them into wins and strength and wins into our sail that can take us more forward. See, God is not threatened by our weaknesses or our losses. He's threatened when we hide. When we take what Adam and Eve did and we go and run and think we can hide from the voice and the call of God, you can't do that. It doesn't work. God wants you not hid. He wants you open. He wants you to be absolutely open about who you are, weaknesses and strength all the way through. And when you let the weaknesses and strength engage with one another, you're going to find that God is going to fuel your life out of that engagement. You're going to get stronger as a man. So a lot of times we work on that, you know, if I failed once, I'm done model. I'm sorry, but where does that work in life? 
Tell me one part of life that that model works in. I failed once. I'm done. Oh my gosh. Anybody want to live by that model in any role that you carry up? Because you know that you won't last the day. All that you got to do is fail once and you're done. That is not grace. This is not Christian. This is not God's wiring. This is not how God works in our life. The key with failure is that God is allowed to even take our failures and turn them into good things. God is able to do that. So we don't want to work a failure model. What we want to do, though, is understand how do I make myself stronger then? I want my home to be great. I want to have strength like those three Hebrew guys to stand up and say, King, we're not careful to answer you in this. We already have predetermined our answer. We knew this day was coming, but we've already predetermined what we live for. We've made decisions before we ever get to the battle point. We've made decisions before we stand before you with your anger. Your anger and your influence and your power is not going to intimidate us because the decision is based on our creative model. We've decided to be men of God. And so we are not going to be bowing down to your image. So King... Are God's able to deliver us from this furnace? But even if he does not, we want you to know, okay, there is no way we're bowing down. It's not happening. That doesn't come because you leave it to the last moment. That comes because you have predetermined and pre-thought out what you actually are going to make the important things in your life. And so I want to take a look at five things quickly that if you really want as a man to hit the strength and stride that God wants for you in your family and in your life all the way around, there are five requirements to live a predetermined life. Predetermination is the key. If I could do my life over, I would work this principle harder. This is one principle that I would actually work harder at. I would, I would more early in the game have bigger predeterminations rather than walk through the challenges of life. What I found is wherever I didn't have predeterminations strong and then the challenge came, it was, the pain was high. It was like, oh, you know, it was just way higher. I could have easily lowered a lot of pain things in my life if I had actually lived out more predetermination. And so this is something, even as a young man, if you hear this message today, you can chart a course that is a lot stronger than what you can imagine. It is predetermined your choices at key things. Here's five things that you need to set predetermined living. First is, number one, honor God. Be really predetermined about God and his place in your life. If, if, if Jesus said, look, if you're going to follow me, then you're going to take up your cross daily and follow me. And then he said, you won't take up your cross. Then you are not worthy of me. Jesus is saying you be predetermined here. Like, understand, I'm either all or I'm nothing. I'm either the center or I'm not in the picture. I'm either God or I don't actually exist for you. I'm either your Lord or it's just words. Predetermination about honoring God is critical element in being able to be strong at different times of your life. Look at this scripture in Proverbs 24.3 in the Amplified Version. It says, through skillful and godly wisdom is a house, 
a life, a home, a family built. And by understanding, it is established on a sound and good foundation. Well, when do you establish that godly wisdom? The skill of it is to predetermine. You know, your kids should not have a question about where you stand, what your decisions will be around God. They don't, they, they, they shouldn't have any question about that you're all in. That, 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 that you're not partly in. They shouldn't be, be wondering, I, I, wonder, I wonder what dad's going to do with his faith in God in this situation. No, they have to be clear through skillful and godly wisdom as a house, a life, a home, and a family built. It's really critical for us. In Proverbs 12, 3, it says, you can't find firm footing in a swamp, but life rooted in God stands firm. You wonder why homes float so much and why it does feel like, wow, you know what, are we going to make it? Like, or, boy, you know, we just feel so like we're, we're just not connected the way we need to. Or you see things that you're just trying to hide and, and, or whatever from others. Or you see hiddenness from others in your home and you're wondering, boy, you know, this isn't good. Yeah, no, it's not good. It's swamp. Have you ever tried to get footing in a swamp? How many here have ever got a four-wheel drive vehicle stuck in muskeg or swamp? Come on, be honest. Put up that, there's more. I know you're not confessing right now. You, you got it stuck. I remember one time, this going back years, uh, it was an old International Scout. Does anybody know what I'm talking about when I say International Scout? Okay. This is going back with my dad and brothers uh, a, a number of years back. And they got it so stuck. <laughs> the whole day was supposed to be a hunting trip. The only thing we were hunting for was firm ground. And we had a hard time finding that. So the idea of, of, of trying to find footing in a swamp is ridiculous. Clear up the swamp. Get firm ground. Now where does firm ground start? Honor God. Be predetermined. Be absolutely predetermined. As a, as a man, I'm not going to get all the answers right in life. I'm going to make some mistakes. Wisdom won't be uh, always at the, at the 100% level. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to obviously uh, make some bad choices throughout this but there's one thing that's never going to be doubted about me God is center he's number one my life is to honor him whatever way it possibly can when you are that predetermined that takes the guess out of your family situation they always know where you're coming from oh they might even fight you on it but they'll fight you on swamp anyway so you might as well get your feet planted and let them flounder a little bit. At least you'll be there to pick them up. At least you're there that they got something to grab onto. Don't worry about it. Plant your feet. And the first thing is, learn how to honor God first. Proverbs uh, 14, 26, reverence for the Lord gives confidence and security to a man and his family. Men, I, one of the things that concerns me, when I see a lack of confidence in men just being men, here's what I think about this. Here's what I believe. When I, when I, when I see this kind of lack of confidence 
And men, I know that it's going to come back somewhere where they're afraid of something about them and others and acceptance and rejection and all of that stuff. You know what kicks that out of your life and takes its strength away? It takes the sting of that stuff away? Reverence for the Lord. It's meaning that I, there's one person I will not disappoint. There's one person that if I do disappoint, I'm going to go to for grace because I want them more than anybody else in my life. I can lose friends because of my faith. I can lose people around me by their own choice. I can lose family around me. I can do, go through all of that, but I cannot lose my God. I will not lose my God. Man, this is the beginning of finding a firm foundation, being predetermined. The second thing that you want to actually be very predetermined in is to remember what counts. What is really an account in life? So when life is measured at the end of it, what is going to count? Well, it's not going to be the temporal things that you carry or that are around you. What it will come down to is a process of way that you have lived. By what processes have you lived? Now let me explain for you. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 says this. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trusting God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. So where does a life worth living come from? Faith in God. So faith is the first commodity of what counts the most in your life. You're going to carry the fruits of your faith into eternity. The fruits of your faith will bless your generations. The fruits of your faith are going to be the strength and foundation of your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, of friends and neighborhoods, of churches. You are going to leave behind the fruits of your faith. And your faith is something that is fundamental to having a meaning in existence. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith is a firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. I thought it was Remax. Set them above the crowd. See, the crowd is always going to be, when the music sounds, they're going to find their knee and play the political way of getting through life, maintaining the security of whatever that they can and holding on to positions gained, holding on to wealth gained, holding on to life at all costs, and that all values... All things can, be, can literally be surrendered to the altar of that kind of survival. A life of faith is one that says, my existence brings into my life things that are meaningful. I didn't just raise kids. I didn't just build a business. I didn't just impact my grandkids I didn't just 
No, I did it with faith. Faith. Every time in our home, when I as a dad hit my knees in saying, God, I don't know what to do with this kid. God, we're, we have some troubles going on here. God, give me wisdom with this kid. God, give me insight into it. Whenever we found ourselves reaching to God in the moments when we weren't enough, and we know we weren't enough, we found that God gave us what we needed to be to live out a manhood through our fatherhood. You cannot live out a great fatherhood without living out first a great manhood it says in Galatians 5 6 when we are in Christ Jesus it is not important if we are circumcised or not very uncomfortable subject but look at this line the important thing is faith the kind of faith that works now here's the second commodity through love you love your kids. I love my kids. Well, you got challenges ahead. You do. You're going to have challenges ahead. Because, you see, if you're just going to try and do love without faith, then you're trying to love out of your own engine, and you're going to find you have a real limit in that engine. And there's going to be some times of disconnect that didn't need to be. You see, the weak times in a family and in a relationship between a father and a daughter, a father and a son, are not the times when they, they need to be disconnected from you. They are the times that both of you needed to reach into God. When God brought you together, when faith was the one thing that you guys could share and count on and go to God for help. I'll tell you, when you get a teenager and you reaching out to the very same God, you have done something remarkable. You have been training. You have been doing some amazing work as a man. Out of the created order, the image of God in your home along with your wife. It says the kind of love that works, or the kind of faith that works through love. You see, the fact is, if I, the people that I love in my life, my faith is incredibly important to the process of that love being delivered correctly. Faith. Working through love. Son, this is a difficult time. You're, you're leaving the nest soon, but you're going through a difficult time. You are challenging every value that you know is precious to me. But I want to tell you this, son. I don't have all the answers for you. But I have a faith in God that his hand is on you and covering you and will carry you and I will have you in the center of my prayers and you'll always be in the center of my heart. I will never give up on you, son, because my faith is in God, not in you. And my love will be carried all the way through every challenge you bring to me. Faith working through love. Third, how are we doing so far, guys? Third, gather the right companions. <laughs> this is so obvious. I'm not sure why it is that sometimes 
we go to all of the relationships that we tend to. But look at some of the scriptures on this. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. You see that first part though? Don't be deceived. More or less he's saying, here's the foundation of why you move to bad company. It's deception. You think somehow they care for you. You think somehow you matter to them more than anybody else. You think somehow you want to be in their zone. Somehow you've been conned into thinking that you want to have actually being like them. Somehow you have been led into this. And you say, wake up. They're not for you this way. They're not going to cheer on your God moments. They're not going to cheer on your faith. They're not going to be there to support you and point you or challenge you. In fact, they'll do the opposite. The only time you'll get challenged by them is if you're not doing what they want. You want to know when they're not a friend? That's it. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Proverbs 14, 7. Escape quickly from the company of fools. I love the I love Proverbs because it's just so explicitly clear in its in its messaging. And then he goes and he says, They're a waste of your time. And they're a waste of your words. You know that time is the only gift you can't get back? It's the one we'd love, but you can't. And he's saying, This is a waste of your time. And it's a waste of your words. He's saying, escape quickly. Now, escape is a word that means you're trapped. You think that you are, 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 are not trapped? Try and leave. Escape quickly from the company of fools. They're a waste of your time, a waste of your words. Can you imagine, you know, those three Hebrew men? They really had this predetermined position individually. And then here they are, each strong individual standing together before the guy who has more authority on the planet Earth than any other man at this time. And he is angry with them. And there's a fiery furnace ready to go. And they are being asked to do one simple thing. Bow down and acknowledge his godlikeness. Can you imagine being in a company of fools preceding that? Can you imagine being in a company of fools that says, there is no truth? What is truth? Can you imagine being in a company of fools that says, hey, it's no problem. God won't mind you doing this. Escape from the company of fools. Because when you stand in those kind of situations, you want to be standing with other people of predetermination. Men, you need other good men around you. We have enough of the other all the time throughout life. The precious relationships, the closest, the ones that we stand with must be men of good character. Men who have the same predetermined way to live for God. Next it says in Proverbs 2.20, So join the company of good men and women. Keep your feet on the tried and true paths. Man, this is such great advice. It is something where if you've got good men and women around you, keeping your feet on a tried and true path, on a path that is solid, it's not swamp, 
with a direction that is known, with a journey that is predetermined about who this is for. And I'm telling you, you are in a strong position. But the moment you join these company of fools, the moment that you, their words and their things have more impact on you than your predetermined choices, that's when you are in trouble. Number four, choose the greatest challenge. The greatest challenge. Well, what is the greatest challenge in life? Well, we'll talk about that just for a bit here. Because, you see, you're created in the image of God. As a man, you're reflecting this male part of God. You are called to what you are. And you want to fulfill that created design and image of God that he has put upon you. And in doing that, you're going to want to be like like what God would want you to be. God is not into the little challenge. He wants you to use life to take on the greatest things in life. What is the greatest challenge? Well, we just have to kind of go to Jesus' life. What was the greatest challenge for Jesus? To become a servant for us. To step out of the glories of eternal heaven to come and put his life on the line, to be the greatest servant ever. Look at Matthew 20, verse 26. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You know, any leader knows that leadership is not about you first invoking authority. It's about you carrying out service. You are taking the best of what God has put in you and that it is going to serve the things that God has called you to. And so we all know that as Christian men, that if we want to be great in God's kingdom, it's going to mean we have to be his servant. And we have to be willing to serve in our homes. So many relationships today, in fact, the rarity is where the servanthood of a Christian man is, is uh, functioning fully. But so much of it is, is so much about us. It's so much about who, who we are and what this is supposed to do for us and, and, and what they're supposed to be for us and what I'm not getting out of this and what I should be getting out of this and, and, and how, you know, I, I didn't know that it was going to be this tough and all of the different kinds of things that you hear today. You must take on the greatest challenge. And the greatest challenge is to serve. And as a father, you are called to be a servant. A servant under God. Fulfilling the manhood that he has called you to. Through a servanthood in your fathering role. You are serving God to raise these children. Jesus was so explicitly clear of how deeply he felt about the innocence of children. He said, if one of you offends one of these, I want to tell you, it would be better that you would literally, you know, have almost never been born. Because what's going to happen is that you are going to be dealt with very, very severely. Why? Because they're, they're put under your authority here. 
He gave you the responsibility. He's created an image for you and given you Christ in your heart as a Christian man. And you need to take that seriously and carry it out through serving your kids. That doesn't mean being weak with your kids. It means, in fact, sometimes being tough. Because sometimes when we're, we're not doing the things we should be, we're not being clear about our values. We're not challenging them when we should be because they won't like me. Or, oh man, I don't want the pain of, of that. I don't want to have to be that kind of a dad. The Bible tells us that you know that God loves you when you're chastened by him. Dads, you're actually proving your love when you absolutely demonstrate it that I love you too much to not challenge you, to not serve you this way. They're serving in all kinds of ways. There is a multitude of ways to serve your children, dads. How you spend your time, your energy, your gifts, your talents. Sometimes I think we, take, we think life is about us taking the best of our talents and skills and putting them into a job or a profession. No. Those things were given to you to put into your family first. The best of you goes to that which in the end means the most to you. Then it goes on in the scripture in Mark 8, 34. It says, when he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Denial of self is servanthood. You have to deny self to serve. Anytime you don't want to serve, here's the problem. You're just not wanting to deny yourself here right now. You want to retain the freedom to not be the foot washer. In Mark 8, 35, it says, it says this. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Just because of time's sake, I'm going to skip some of those others that I've got down on this point. But here is the deal when it comes to service. If you truly love God, it's not hard for you to serve your family. You say, but you don't know my family. <laughs> You've obviously never met them. Okay. These are really difficult people. I'm the only good one in the nest. Yeah, I believe that. When you love God, you will serve based on the commodity of faith operating through love. You're always believing for the change. You're always believing for the growth. You're always believing in the value. And you are demonstrating that in your faith and you operate out of love. And love doesn't mean being squishy. Love means doing what is good for the person. Next. Oh, I got to read one of these scriptures. 1 John 2, 17. The world and all its wanting, wanting, wanting is on the way out. But whoever does what God wants is set for eternity. Great verse. Last, have the courage to stand alone. If you have to. If it's just you. If it's just you at that place of work. It's just you in that neighborhood. It's just you and your family. If it's just you. You got to be willing to stand alone. You got to have the courage to stand alone. You, you can't be looking for the permission to fulfill the created order that God has for you. You want to be a good man so that you can be a good father? Well, that means there's going to be times that you're going to take stands that nobody else is really going to stand with. You might be able to think of times right now, Dad, where you had to do that. 
You had to be the one to say no. Or yes. You didn't have all the support. You got to have the courage to stand alone. Exodus 23, 2, you must not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you are called to testify in a dispute, do not be swayed by the crowd to twist justice. More or less, stick with truth. Say what is true. Be willing to stand alone on it. Faith through love. 1 Corinthians 16, 13, be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. He's not speaking to just a group. That has to be individualized for any power. There is no group in any, in, there is no power in any group except what is found in the hearts of the individuals of that group. So does it start with you? And then it says in 1614, and do everything with love. So he said, be strong, be courageous, but don't be an idiot. Don't be angry and enraged. And you can have the truth and be wrong. But he's saying stand, stand firm in this. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous. Be strong. And do everything with love. Even when it's tough things. First Chronicles 12.32. An interesting little story. What is this particular scripture is found in a time when King David is now coalescing all of his kingdom. It's now all coming together. All the tribes are admitting now is, now is the time for David's reign. He's already been reigning even when Saul was king. They, they say that right in there. He's already been doing it, but we need to formally recognize this is the time. And so here's this scripture, and this is having to do with the tribe uh, of Issachar. And it says, there were 200 leaders from Issachar. They knew that Israel, they knew what Israel should do and they knew the right time to do it. Their relatives were with them and under their command. It's a chock full of stuff here. You need to know the times that you live in, that your family's developing. You need to know the times that your kids are living in. You need to know the challenges that they're facing right now. They need to, you need to know when it's the right time to do, these, do whatever it is that needs to be done. You need to have these kinds of things and then you need to take the stand and you've got to have them under your command to be a true leader in your home. Today, our problem is weak leadership or inappropriate application of leadership where it's not with love. It's just harsh. Don't be a harsh dad. Your dad in heaven is not. We sang a great song leading into this message. It's fantastic. He is not harsh with you. Thank God. He's gentle. He's strong. He doesn't bend. Be strong. And that comes to our last 2 Samuel 10, 12. Be strong. We must fight bravely for our people and the cities of our God. The Lord will do what he thinks is right. He's saying, you got to just be strong. You got to fight bravely. You got to get into the mix. You got to get off the sidelines. You got to be a participator in the godliness of your household. You've got to be a man that is fulfilling the design of God as he has designed you as a man and carrying that good, strong manhood through your fatherhood with faith through love. And then in the end, you can truly say about yourself, it is true. 
O King Nebuchadnezzar, O world value system, we will not bow down. I'm not going to bow down. My family's not going to bow down. The more that you can answer, it is true about those five things, the more predetermined you are in your living. And the more predetermined you are in your living, the more that God is showing up in your life and in your homes. And you say, but it's so hard. No, it's hard when you try to fuse water and oil. That's what's hard. It's not hard to be water and it's not hard to be oil. There's a scripture that's in reference to the idea of us completing our journeys. One day your fatherhood journey will be completed and one day your manhood journey will be completed. But there's a scripture that is out of a story that Jesus told and it's at the end of the story where at the culmination of this lifetime race, of this lifetime fight, of this world that you took what God put in you and you stayed on track and you kept growing and you kept fighting and you kept moving forward and you let him develop your manhood and you ended up carrying a strong manhood out in your fatherhood and he's going to say to you when you hit the finish line of these roles, when you hit the finish line of that journey, he's going to say, well done. Good. Did you catch that? Good. That word, well done, good, you're good. There are good and bad men. Not just morally so. Because sometimes that's not very obvious. Here's what he's interpreted as good men. Man, you were a fighter. You stayed right in there. I mean, you were a real man in this thing. You didn't give up, you didn't walk away. You didn't give in to the worst of your temptations you didn't give in to the idea that I could not be enough for you in the grace you 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 just didn't give up you had you had a lot of things thrown at you 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 lived in a time when the world was nuts the the idol was 90 feet tall and it was aggressive and it is you bow down and you raised the children I gave you with faith through love well done good Good man, good man. You got up when you were knocked down, when your choices didn't match up with mine. You didn't squander it away in some guilt and shame. You reached out and found confidence in my grace and my love. You got the restart pistol. You got a new start on that race and you ran it. Good man, well done, good man. Good and faithful. 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 What is faithful? Despite the weaknesses of all those around me, despite my own weakness, despite all of that, I have been faithful. Paul said at the end of his ministry, you know what, I've gone through hell. But I now have the prize waiting for me. Because I've been faithful to the call. The call doesn't begin just at the point of you coming to Christ. 
The call comes to every part of his creation, to male and female, and saying, I have something for you, and you are a part of my journey in this, and I want you to be faithful to my call, and when you get off track, do not stay in hiddenness. Stay away from leaves. Stay away from walking away. No, no. You come you trust me, you keep getting up as many times as you need to because this is a 15-rounder. And you finish this fight. You finish this fight. And then the final word is servant. Because you're my servant. Good job. Let's stand together. Dads, wow. You young dads, oh, you got young little ones running around. You have been blessed so greatly. But they need your manhood. Older dads, you got teenagers sneaking out at night. I just talk about what my brothers did. Doing things they shouldn't do. Making choices that are really difficult for you. And you're kind of tired of trying to be a policeman in a way, you know. You've been blessed. So blessed. Don't think of it as anything else but. You are blessed. But they need your manhood. Us older guys, like Bob and Marcel. <laughs> and you got grandkids. Maybe some great grandkids. You're blessed. Really blessed. Grab it. And guys, they need our manhood and your manhood elderly gentlemen today passes still down through your children to their children and it will pass to their children firm footing some of you I know are oh man I'm far off this trail you're only as far off as your next decision Because this is a God trail. It's not your trail. I fail. No, no, this is a God trail. He says, come on. Let's go. Make some decisions. So we close in prayer. If you've never received Christ, you can receive him right now just by opening your heart and receiving and putting your faith in him as your savior. 
forgiver of all of your sins and then your Lord to direct you. But I think today the prayer is a lot this way. Guys, we just need to be men in the created order that God has made us and learn to grow in that. Not to be ashamed of it in this day. Not to let the divisions and the ridiculousness of this world compromise who you are. But instead, thank you that you made me a man. I want to be a godly man so I can be a godly father. Father, as we bow our heads before you, I thank you that as our father in heaven, you are so good. You are so good to us. It's in you we find our full model of fatherhood. Strong, holy, loving, never giving up on us, constantly entreating us, and at the same time, waiting for us, even when we have turned the deaf, to your, deaf ears to you. We thank you, O oh God, that you've always seen beyond our current plight. You've never, Father, ever, ever, ever not had a next step for us. A new start, a new day, a new moment. You've never, ever held back from us what we truly need. It's only been our own hearts which has pushed away your best gifts. And I pray today for us as men and fathers, grandfathers, great-grandfathers, sons. Oh, God. Help us to represent the image that we've been created in and represent the Father in heaven who constantly demonstrates to us his great love, compassion, and joy that he has in us. And as we leave this place today, may we celebrate the incredible role of being men, husbands, fathers, sons, grandfathers, great-grandfathers. And thank you for every time you took our weakness and turned it into a strength. So Father, we celebrate you today. Help us as men to have a great joy in all of our things that we've been blessed with, in our children, and all of the people that we can bring this kind of strength of manhood to. If you're here and you've never received Christ, here's a little prayer you can borrow and pray in the quietness of your heart. You might say on this Father's Day, I need you, Heavenly Father. I need you. And Lord, you have said you're there. Father, you sent your Son to die for my sins. He took my punishment. I don't totally understand all of it, but I know what I need. I need forgiveness. I'm tired of denying it. I need your mercy. I ask for it humbly. So Christ, I invite you into my life to forgive, yes, all the sin, past, present, and future. At the same time, I invite you to be my Lord, my CEO. I invite you to be the director of my life. Because, Lord, you 
are going to make me what I've been designed to be. In Christ's name I pray. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780-539-0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.